By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his own inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This is the word of the Lord. Christy, thank you. Uh, Good morning. Uh, If we've not met, my name is Matt Fuller. I'm, uh, they call me senior minister here. Uh, It'd be lovely to meet you afterwards. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at Hebrews 11 together. Father, we thank you that as we've sung already this morning, your promises are trustworthy and we can live by them. Would you grow that, begin to help us understand how that can be, strengthen our resolve in the promises of your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of my best friends is a man called Jody. That's a girl's name. Uh, but no one really laughs at him because he is a colonel in the British Army and also built like a buffalo. Uh, he's got this absolutely phenomenal strength, etc. So you wouldn't sort of laugh in his face uh, were you told that that's his name. Now, a few years ago, he was posted to command British forces in Brunei. Obviously, we have a, 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 a regiment based out there, imperial reasons uh, in times gone by. But it was not his regiment. Uh, and so he somewhat parachuted in because there were one or two problems and uh, stuff needed to be sorted out and he was the man designed to troubleshoot uh, and was sent in. Now this caused quite a stink amongst the 700 or so on the base. Well, who's this Dave? Who's this Colonel Davis? Who is he? He's not our man. He's not our regiment. Who's he? Does anyone know him? Well, why has he been... Why are we getting one of our own? Uh, and there was quite a lot of mumbling and uh, discontent about it. He arrived, sort of engaged briefly with the officers, and then was presented to, the, to uh, uh, all the troops. And so the two IC stood up, 
and said, quite brazenly, I mean, it's a plain speaking world somewhat, the army, uh, said, now some of you have been very unhappy about the appointment of Colonel Davies. Not many of you men would know him. I don't know him, really. I don't know him very well. I've met him briefly. But here's what I do know about him. In the last few years, 450 British soldiers have been killed in Afghanistan. Colonel Davies has led three tours to Afghanistan, but involved in some significant firefights for which he is admirably decorated. But what you need to know is he has never lost a single man on any of those tours. Any questions? Very good. Dismissed. Blunt. But there is that sense that in the army, you may mumble, you may grumble a little bit about who's commanding you, but in the end, you just want someone to get you home safe. And you want to know that the man you're following is worthy of your trust. But he was, and he is. And in this life, you need to know who you're following. And you come to a passage such as this, and the stress is that the one that you follow if you're a Christian has made promises, and you can trust them. You can build your life upon them. You can trust this one who makes promises. We're spending a month in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, just this one chapter of the Bible we began last week. Uh, the whole letter to the Hebrews, or sermon perhaps better, is, is really written to a group of people who are struggling between the, the gap between God's promises for the future, which says everything's going to go well with you, and the realities of life which are somewhat grim. Uh, and there's a gap between the two. Uh, and so he writes this letter to encourage them, the first 10 chapters mainly all about the work of Jesus Christ. And now he says, yes, some of you are suffering for your faith. Well, let me give you examples from the past. A multitude of examples of believers from the Old Testament. And we looked at a number last week. Uh, today we're just looking at one, Abraham. And it seems to me the focus in this section is uh, that Abraham had faith in the midst of uncertainty. That's where the stress falls. He has faith in the promises of God in the midst of uncertainty. And there's a lot of that around, still. If you were here last week, we said, I, I, I guess that the description or, or, or the definition, rather, of faith in this chapter is faith is an active trust in a certain promise about an unseen future. That's what faith is. You change your life because you have a certain promise from God about a future that is yet seen. Abraham does that even though he has every reason to be completely uncertain about what the future holds. It's quite a lot here, but let me, um, uh, I'm just going to make two points, really, uh, two ways. If you have a certain promise, here's how Abraham lives. Abraham trusted God's promise for inheritance, and therefore the implication you can long for the better country. And then secondly, we come to Abraham trusted God's promise in absolute perplexity. You do have to look at the one who promises Let's take the midterns then. Uh, Abraham, here's what he does by faith. Chapter 11, verse 8. Uh, but Abraham trusted God's promises for inheritance. 11, verse 8. By faith, 
Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, he's referring to an instant, a big story, but in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, uh, God says to uh, Abraham, look, I'm making a promise to you. You can have all these blessings in the future, and I want you to leave your family and go. Okay, where? Not telling you. Mm, That's quite tough. Since the point of it. How would you feel if tomorrow your boss, your employer, a a key client you're reliant upon says to you, uh, can you go home and um, pack up all your possessions uh, and pull the kids out of school uh, and uh, and everything, put it on a ship uh, and you go to the airport, right? And where are we going? Not telling you. Not feeling very inclined to do that, probably. But Abraham did. He was told, go. And he did. The reason is, we're told in verse 9, because he has a promise. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. This is the big word in the section, really. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his descendants, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So twice in verse 9, verse 11, Sarah acts on the promise. Verse 13, everyone acts upon God's promise. Verse 17, Abraham acts on the promise. So God says to him, go. Where? I'm not telling you. Why? Because I've promised you that when you get there, you'll receive extraordinary blessing. And he does. And so verse 10, he was looking forward to the city without foundations, talking about heaven, a heavenly city, as he gets referred to later on, whose architect and builder is God. That's why he could go and live in a tent in a strange land. Now, that is an unusual thing to do. Uh, A family I know last summer, they got a very nice uh, four-bedroom house, a family of four of them. It's amply spacious and it's a delightful house for them to live in. Uh, But last summer, for a couple of months, they moved out and decided to live in a tent in their garden. That's eccentric. In some countries of the world, that might be pleasant. In the UK, that's eccentric to spend two months living in a tent. Why would you do that? Oh, they were having an extension put on and some building work done in the house, and they just thought, you know what, we're getting out of all the dust. We'll just let them make dust, 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 and we'll just have this big old tent in the garden, and then we'll move back in. Oh, okay. That's just unusual. Not wildly eccentric, I guess, to do that. Because they knew they had something better. They were happy to be in a tent for a little while in order to have something better. That's Abraham. God says, go, live in a tent. Why? Because there's something better ahead of you. Oh, okay. Okay, we can do that. So by faith, Abraham went. Then we turn to Sarah, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Sarah was 90 when she had her first child. That's not normal. It wasn't some sort of uh, ancient Viagra, we're told. What produces the goods is faith. And again, there's nothing magical about that. It's just trusting God's promise. God said to Abraham, look, Abraham, I know you're 100, and I know your wife is 90, but within the next year, you'll have a child. Well, at first they laughed, but then they trusted by faith. 
This is unusual. You can imagine at the time them telling their friends, it's Abraham's 100th birthday, and everyone gathers together, all the friends, there aren't really many family, no natural children, but all the friends gather together, and it's Abraham's 100th birthday, and he blows out his cake, and what did you wish for, Abraham? Well, I'll tell you what I'm wishing for, a child, but we know we're going to have one. You're 100, Abraham. She's 90. Yeah, we're going to have a child. No, the, the author says, the God, no, it's unlikely, verse 12. So from this one man, and he as good as dead. And yet God had promised they'd have a child. And so came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. Because God has promised, so it happens. And so you get the implication for you and for me in verses really 13 to 16. We too want to long for the better country. All these people, verse 13, that's Abraham's descendants. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. All these people, by faith, well, the striking thing is they never got what they were promised. Verse 13. They never got to this promised land that awaited the future. But let me suggest that the lesson for you and me is this world is only penultimate. There is a world to come, heaven, that the human race really calls home. And yet the problem is, one of the most common problems in life, in the Christian life, or not, or just life generally, is that we try to grasp in this world hold of everything that, in one sense, awaits us in the next. So we, we think we can build heaven on earth, even though it awaits us in the next. And the problem is that, well, it's only ever going to produce disappointment. That's why people do get ground down. It's why people do have the midlife crisis, because you get to your, whatever it is, 40s, uh, uh, 50, and think, oh right, oh right, I had all these dreams, and here I am, and I haven't set the world on fire. Ah. Oh. See, if the world says, you've got to build heaven now. There's nothing better than this. So do all you can to, to accumulate happiness or, or stuff now, experiences now. You've got to have it now because there's nothing else to come. So you've, you've got to accumulate now. Faith says, I don't need to build heaven now because it's to come. So in this life, I can serve others. I don't need to serve myself. I await heaven. So I can give my life to others now. I don't have to invest now in whatever it is you think builds you heaven. Mountains of money, the perfect buff body, uh, scintillating sex, terrific travel, whatever it is for you that you, you think you need here and now. You don't need to invest in all that now. Because God has promised a heavenly city. But if you, if you lose a transcendent God and his promises for the future, you have to try and build heaven now. There's nothing else. 
And you can have a good go at that. And sometimes it seems like it's working. But there's always disappointment at some point. I personally didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, wasn't particularly angry. Secular, it was just sort of there. Who cares uh, about anything out there, about issues of faith. Uh, but I became a Christian um, in my uh, 20s, early 20s. And uh, the rest of my family are not. My father was always particularly hostile. Uh, he didn't like it. It's, he thought it caused some sort of gulf between us in some senses. And God was certainly, in his view, something he didn't need. Age 80, he contracted cancer. His last couple of years were very painful. But once he was still okay, he, he said, look, I've lived a good life. I've enjoyed my life. And um, my mum was 10 years younger than him. I, I, I've set your mother up. She'll have another decade or plus on me. Uh, and I'm going, but I'm okay. I'm content. I've lived a good life. And I've set her up for the next decade or plus. Six weeks before my father died, he was told my mother had terminal cancer and it broke him. What do I live for? I've accumulated this stuff for... It's a lovely pension pot, but... Well, even the kids don't get that, because it... And at that point, he said, tell me more about heaven. Because at some point, this world, you realize it's not enough. And you do need to long for the better country, like these people did. This world is not home. Verse 15, uh, what else? If, if they'd been thinking of the country, they'd left these people, they'd have had opportunities to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. It's not that they wanted to look, kept looking backwards, these people traveling through the deserts in their tents. They will keep looking backwards. What was life like before? Look, if you're a Christian here today, you know that's quite easy to do, to, to look backwards. As I compare myself to peers from university days and uh, 25 years on and look at the money that they're earning and the houses they live in, the holidays they go on, I could look around and think, oh, oh, I'm sure I was brighter than him 25 years ago. Oh, oh, right. It's quite easy to look back and think, what have I done? Simon and Lucy will know that at points. Sometimes you feel it most acutely for your children. Oh, right. I can't quite offer the same things to my kids that. Sometimes you feel that way and you look back. But verse 16 these early believers, they looked forward. They looked forward. And we're told, therefore, verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. It's a very striking sentence that God would say about a follower in him. I guess by implication, there are moments when God looks down from heaven and says, I'm a little bit embarrassed by those Christians over there. Because they call themselves my followers, but they just try and build heaven on earth. And I'm a bit embarrassed that they've got my name. Because they don't live as if they're trusting me. It's a bit embarrassing, that group of Christians over there. But by contrast, there are many God looks down upon and says, I'm not ashamed of them. 
I'm proud of them. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? That God looks down and says, I don't know, I am proud of Simon Dixon. I am proud of Lucy Dixon. God believe I'm proud of Florence Dixon. That's a lovely thing that God would say. So long for the better country, like these early believers did. Abraham trusted God's promise. Sarah trusted God's promise for their future, for their inheritance. Long for this better country. I wonder if you've heard the story of Charles Dutton. Charles Dutton was born in, uh, this is someone knows, Charles Dutton was born in uh, Baltimore in the States. Age 17, he got into a fight. It ended up with him committing manslaughter. He spent the next seven years in prison for committing the manslaughter. Uh, and yet he made a resolution in prison to be different. Uh, and so he completed his high school education. He completed a college degree during his years in prison. Uh, he left and earned a master's in drama from Yale. He went to Broadway and was a very successful actor. He won two Tonys on the stage at Broadway, then went into TV work, won two Emmys for his telework, and he's still at work, you know, con- um, not conduct, directs miniseries for HBO and makes a lot of money doing that. Uh, but I read an interview with him, and he was asked... Uh, how he, it was just after he got his first Tony Award, he was asked, how have you managed to make such a remarkable transition from prison inmate to successful actor? His response, unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated the walls of my cell. Do you see what he's saying? When I was there in that prison... I resolved, this is not my home. Every moment I'm here, I'm investing it for when I get out. This is not home. I am living for the future. And as a reminder, unlike everyone else in this place, I will not decorate those walls because I'm passing through. And that's what the writer here is saying. The Christians do. They never settle for this. Never try and build heaven here. Always looking forward. You don't decorate the walls of your life. That is a metaphor. If you've just painted your house, don't panic, okay? That's a metaphor. Long for the better country. Secondly, more briefly, Abraham trusted God's promise in perplexity. Verses 17 to 19. He trusted God's promise in perplexity. Here is a very strange story. Verse 17. By faith. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. This is a very bizarre story. I have to say in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 22, God had promised Abraham that he'd have a son with his wife, Sarah, and that that son, Isaac, through Isaac, he'd have thousands and thousands of descendants. That was the promise given to Abraham. And he had to wait till he was 100 and Sarah was 90, but they had the child, Isaac. Fantastic. 25 years they'd had to wait. God gave him this promise when he was 75, pretty unlikely even then, but they get there. 
Fantastic. And he sees Isaac grow up. Isaac, the child he'd waited for, his boy, he'd waited all these years for. And then when Isaac's about age 16, God says, and now you need to give him up. I command you to give him up. You've promised that this is my son and through him all these descendants will come. Yes. And now you're saying, give him up. and I need to let him die. Yes. But the promise and the command, how do they work together? What Abraham thought to himself, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. In the end, Isaac didn't have to die. Oh, look, I've got a promise from God, and yet God says this, this son of mine's got to die. Oh, how do those fit together? Oh, I don't know, that's your problem, God. You can do anything, you can raise the dead. I'm just going to trust you, that's your, that's your issue. I'm just going to get on with the work of a banging. I'm not saying it was easy. But that's how Abraham thinks. But I guess the point here is that sometimes trusting God's promises is very hard. It's easy when nothing's at stake. But sometimes trusting God's promises is very hard. And at those moments, you've you've really got to look at the one who's promised. You've got to know who it is who has made promises. Because if you're Abraham and God says to you, go, where? Not telling you. That is unbearable. Unless the one who tells you to go has promised to be with you. And that where you're going is wonderful. It's unbearable otherwise. And if you're Abraham and he says, you need to sacrifice, give up the son that you love, the thing that you love most in the whole world, that is unbearable. Unless he's promised There's no loss really. You've got to trust the one who has made promises. If you remember who he is, you can keep going no matter what the circumstances of life are, no matter how bewildering. You need to look up in order to keep, in order to keep looking forward to heaven. We try to put it in these terms. A few years ago, my... Uh, seven-year-old at the time. He hadn't learned to ride a bike. And I thought, this is a bit pathetic. You're seven, for goodness sake. Learn to ride a bike. No. Don't want to learn. Look, all your friends are riding bikes. Don't want to learn to ride a bike. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, now, some friends had very generously for his birthday bought him the Lego Death Star. Now, that may not be your thing, but you just need to understand that is four and a half thousand pieces of Lego in a box about this size. Okay. It is massive. We did eventually come round to building it. It was about 20 hours labour for two men, man and boy, to, uh, to build this thing. It is massive. Okay? The instruction manual is bigger than my car. Okay, it's a very big thing. Okay. So some friends are very generously given that. Now, he'd received lots of presents that year. We thought, oh my goodness, we're not giving him this as well. Do you mind if we hold it back? No, no, no. They said, hold it back if you, if you want. Okay. So September. Will you, will you, you, no, look, new school year. You've got to learn to ride your bike. No. No, not interested. If you learn to ride your bike by the beginning of December for Christmas, you shall receive the Lego Death Star. <laughs> Done in three weeks. <laughs> okay? 
he'd nailed it. Now, but after that, so he learned to ride a bike and it was great. New enthusiasm came. But then all of a sudden, doubts began to creep in. But Daddy, I, I don't really deserve a Lego Death Star just for riding a bike. I mean, I should have done that anyway. I know. But I promised you. Daddy, it's very expensive, you know. Can you afford to buy the Lego Death Star? It's covered. No problem. Dad, he's growing up now, no longer daddy. Dad, it is very rare. You know, it is a limited edition. Are you sure you're going to be able to get hold of one? No problem for me. But he still, he kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. And then I thought, well, blow this. So uh, I took a photo of me holding the box. Uh, and said, look, look, I can do this, you know. I've promised, and I can do this. Here's a photo. Now, what photograph does God, the living God, give us that he can deliver upon his promises? He gives us Jesus Christ. God himself came down in the man, Jesus Christ. He came and he died. He, he came. He came to show that this world matters. This physical world matters. He came and took flesh as a physical man because he cares about the tangible physical universe. He came and his life upon this planet shows that he cares and he loves people. And he died. The simple message of the cross is that Jesus died, even though he lived a perfect life, to pay for the selfishness of you and me, our self-absorption, our willingness to grasp, grasp, grasp the things that God gives in this life but never acknowledge him. And he just swaps places with us upon the cross. That's the simple message. Here's the photograph that we need that God's promises are trustworthy. He came and he died in Jesus Christ to guarantee that he'll take us to heaven. So I hope you do understand how we get to this heavenly country, this heavenly city, this promised land of heaven. None of us ever deserve it. It's only ever a gift. It's not an access point system. I looked the, uh, uh, this week at the, uh, if you want to move to Australia, well, if you're Australian, that's quite easy. But uh, if you're not, and if you wanted to, I looked at the point system. People talk about this. It came up in the Brexit debate. What is the Australian point system? So I started to uh, scroll through, uh, you know, my superficial look tells me that this much, that you get lots of points for being young, young people. Uh, you get lots of points if you're experienced in your industry, so as far as I could tell, if you're a 25-year-old with 20 years' experience as a doctor, you're, you're absolutely certain to get in. That is, that is the absolute sweet spot. You're young and experienced. No problem. Uh, you get in at that. But it's a point system, and you know, if you've done this and you've achieved this, you get points. And the more points is, the, the most li- more likely you are to get in. I guess, not having done it, I guess if you applied for, um, to, uh, to work in Australia, you apply and you send off your form and you think, ah, I've had enough. Do I have enough points? Should I have listed this? Mm, What about those things? Those will count against me. (gasps) And you have to wait. That is not how you get into the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly city of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. You have faith in him. 
But can I say that after a tragic night at London Bridge again last night, this is so worth stressing. Because there last night were men in a white van and with knives who with their twisted religious ideology thought, if we kill people, Allah will be happy and we will get a better place in heaven. Jesus comes and says, I don't want you to kill. I'm not going to kill. Don't you dare kill. That is absolutely wrong. But I myself will come and die for you. I will come and die for you so that if you have faith in me, I will take you to heaven. So fundamentally different. Not our labors, our efforts, our achievements, our point systems will ever please God enough to get into heaven. Rather, Jesus says, no, you'll never make it. But I will come to you. I will die for you. If you have faith in me, I'll take you there. That is the promise we have from God. And it is a promise sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ in those events in history. That's why we can trust him. He himself came. So Lieutenant Colonel Jody Davies led three tours to Afghanistan and each time he brought every single man home. Any questions? Jesus Christ has died and risen again so that if you have faith in him, he'll take you home. You may have questions. But by faith in him, he'll take you home. And if you have faith in him, you don't need to decorate the walls of life here and now. You can sit lightly to all the good things here and now. You can enjoy them, but you don't try and build heaven on them here and now. You don't need to decorate the walls. You look up at the one who's promised, which means you can look forward to the place he's promised. You don't need to decorate life here and now, which means that by faith, well, you do extraordinary things if you trust in this Jesus. Let me lead us in prayer together. Our Father, faith is quite a nebulous thing in many ways. We, all of us have faith in different motor cars that we use, bicycles we use day by day. Religious faith is a funny thing. It can cause, if it's faith in the wrong ideology, it could cause horrible distress and terror. But Father, faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came to this world because he loves it, who died for us because he loves us, faith in him is utterly liberating. It means we don't earn our place in your kingdom, it's a gift. And it means if we trust in that gift, we can sit lightly to try to accumulate possessions, staff experiences here and now. We can give our lives here and now to serving you and serving other people because you've promised you'll reward us. So will we not decorate the walls of our life here and now 
but trust you for a better kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, one for us through Jesus Christ. Amen.